Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis 41. Genesis 41. I'll tell you my title in a little bit. Genesis 41. I encourage you, if you missed any of our messages of this series so far this month, I encourage you to go to YouTube or our podcast or our website or Spotify and catch up because I'm just going to pick up where we left off last week. And so one of the things the Lord told us on Wednesday, September 29th, through a word of prophecy, he said, what about 2019? A turning, a changing, a rearranging. It'll be like you turned the corner, says the Lord. Say, I turned the corner. All of a sudden, things look this way, but when you turned the corner, you went, wow. You turned the corner, and it was amazing. You didn't know what was on the other side, but when you turned the corner, you went, whoa, I didn't see that coming, God. I knew that it was going to be good, but I didn't know what was around the corner. So get ready for what's about to happen at the end of this year, but when 2019 starts, you're turning the corner, and just get ready to go, wow, whoa. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. So get ready to turn the corner in your life. Get ready to turn the corner in your finances. Get ready to turn the corner in your marriage. Get ready to turn the corner in your family. Get ready to turn the corner in every single area of your life. Because when you turn the corner, you're going to run into the oneness of God that's going to cause you to go, wow. That's going to cause you to go, whoa. That's going to cause you to be amazed by the outpouring of the power of your God. One of the things we shared in the weeks prior, that one of the things the Lord told Dr. Jerry Savelle, he said, 2019 will be a year of marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of your God. And we know this is a year of abundant harvest that will cause us all to be in awe with what our God will do. And as we've been meditating on things and sharing on these things, we talk about how to get ourselves in position by faith and faithfulness to receive what God has thrown our way this year. We talked about how that God has heard our prayers. Last week we said restoration is not coming, but restoration is here. And we began to talk about restoration and recompense. But when we hear abundant harvest, people have different things in mind. And I want to show you just before we move forward in today's message, two different abundant harvests we see in the Word of God. Genesis 41, verse 47. We talked about Joseph last week. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. This is just a phrase that meant the earth brought forth abundantly. Look in other translations, it says the earth brought forth abundantly. And he, Joseph, gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities and the food of the field, which was round about every city, led he up the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. The message version says it this way, during the next seven years of plenty, the land produced bumper crops. Joseph gathered up the food of the seven good years in Egypt and stored the food in cities. In each city, he stockpiled surplus from the surrounding fields. Joseph collected so much grain, it was like the sand of the ocean, that he finally quit keeping track. I call that an abundant harvest. Go to Genesis 26, look at Isaac. Let's go look at Isaac, Genesis 26. We'll look at verse 12. Genesis chapter 6, verse 20 12. And guys, if you can bring me my, uh, some of my props for today. Genesis 26. 
Verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year what? Some people are like, oh, that's normal. No, no, no. A hundred times as much. If it was normal, why would the Bible say, oh, yes, Isaac received a harvest? Isaac put, received, put one seed in and a hundred times came out. And it was a time of famine. It was a time where everyone else in the area did not have enough. Thank you. But Isaac sowed and received a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until it became very great. Some translations say that he grew rich very quickly. Why? He received a hundredfold of what he sowed. And if he's the only one in the area who the land is working for, everybody's coming to him to buy food. So this one man, blessed by God, who knew how to sow and reap, ended the famine for the area. I call this an abundant harvest. See, this is your year of abundant harvest. However, say however. however. You have an enemy who's seeking to prevent you from gathering your harvest. See, just because it's a year of abundant harvest, don't think that there's not an enemy out there who's trying to stop you from getting what belongs to you. Restoration and recompense has begun for many of you. We talked about last week. Restoration and recompense has begun for many of you, but some of you have already put a halt to it, and it's only been a week. It started, but some of you said, no, that's enough, and put a halt to it already. And let's see how he did it. But first, let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Of course he would. Yet ye have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? So God equated not bringing your tithes and offerings as robbing him. He says, as a result, you are, as a result, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now what is the solution to this, verse 9? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there be meat and provision in my house, and prove me now, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, the God of angels' armies, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there should not be room enough to receive it. Before we go forward, if God in this verse has to identify himself as the Lord of hosts, or the God of angel armies, or the God who's able to take everything in nature and make it to an army at his command, this lets you know if there's an army, there's an enemy. And when you read this passage in its context, you see it was the enemy who came in and began destroying their crops. Because God goes on and says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So because they hadn't tithed, because they had opened the door through non-tithing and other things, you read all the book of Malachi, what happened? The devourer came in and began to eat their crops. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. This word rebuke means to restrain. I will restrain the devourer. Now, what does devourer mean? It means to eat greedily and ravenously, to destroy completely, to consume with rapidity and violence. I will restrain the devourer from eating greedily and ravenously, from destroying completely, to cons from consuming with rapidity and violence. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. He says it again. The God of angel armies, the God who can take everything in nature and make it an army at his command. 
letting you know that there is a fight going on where your prosperity is concerned. There is an enemy who wants to stop you from prospering. But God has angels assigned who can protect what you got. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. There he goes again. So one of the ways, one of the reasons people will call you blessed will be through the work of the ministry of angels. Through the work of the ministry of God's army working on your behalf. We can't forget there are angels at work for us. And they're not the cute little naked cupids you see in Valentine's Day. These are warriors, giant warriors, who excel in strength and power. Every Christian has at least one. If you're a believer, you have at least one angel assigned to you at all times. But as your assignment increases, so does the angelic guard assigned to you. There are angels assigned to certain churches. There are angels assigned to this church house. God has given his angels to you. And so one of the things we see here, if you're a tither and you employ the rights of a tither, Satan can't outright devour everything you got. Because if he could, he would have done it already. Because he's a devourer. He would have ate everything quickly, violently took everything, but he can't. So if he can't outright devour it, he will try other methods to rob you of your harvest. So don't just think, oh, the devourer's rebuke. He cannot destroy, completely eradicate everything I got. But he's like, well, if I can't completely eradicate it, I can do some other stuff. Go to John chapter 10, verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. Notice what it says here. John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, or I telling you the truth. He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So we know he's talking about the enemy. The enemy is a thief and a robber. But when I'm looking at this phrase, why do you have to say thief and robber? Can we just say thief or robber? And most of us in our English understanding, it's the same word. But when I began to look up the background of this word in the Greek, where the New Testament is written from, this word for thief gives a picture of a bandit, a pickpocket, or thief who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. Satan is a pickpocket. Because a good pickpocket steals from you and you don't notice you've been stolen from. So this means the enemy has some tactics to steal from you and you don't even know you've been stolen from yet. But when you check later, go, oh, where did that go? And he's a robber, and he's a plunder. So there's some outright stealing tactics, but there's some stealthy tactics that he'll steal from you, and you won't even notice. But remember, he's also a liar, so he'll steal from you and tell you it was God. He'll steal from you and say, but you know, God really doesn't want you to prosper. You know, you should be holy and broke. And people believe it, because he's a thief and a liar. And he has stealthy tactics to take from you. And there's sometimes he'll do it so slowly you won't even notice. That's what you see in verse 10. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, just so you're clear on why I came. I came that you might have life 
and that you might have it more abundantly. Another translation, I said, I've come that you might have and enjoy life. So go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. There is an enemy out there. He is a thief. If you can't outright devour everything you got, he has tactics to begin to take stuff from you slowly. And he looks for open doors to steal from you outrightly. Some thieves try to sneak in through open windows. But if you leave your door wide open, he don't got to sneak. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, this word be strong means to be infused with the supernatural power that flows from God. This phrase in the Greek painted the picture. It was used in other Greek, in Greek mythology where people like Hercules would be endued by powers from the gods and do supernatural feats that normal people couldn't do. So Paul uses the same phraseology, be empowered with the supernatural miraculous power from God and do things a normal man can't do. Put on half of the armor. Some of the armor, a piece of the armor, put on that whole suit of armor. See, some Christians' problems is they don't have any armor on. Their picture of Christianity is a nudist colony. Wonder why is the enemy stealing from me? Well, you run around spiritually butt naked. Put on your entire armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul's here. What is one of the purposes of the armor of God? That you can stand against the wiles of the devil. Before we get to the wiles, whose armor is it? God's, right? We'll get to it later in Isaiah 61. God has the same suit of armor. Remember when Saul tried to give David his armor? David couldn't wear it because it didn't fit. God gave you his armor and you can fit it. This talks about your spiritual capacity and what God has made you once you've been born again. So you can put on this armor God gave you, and you can stand against, you can resist the wiles. This word wiles means strategies, schemes, cunning arts, trickery, and deceits. If you put on the entire armor, you can stand against Satan's strategies, his schemes, his cunning arts, his trickery, his deceits. So that means even if he's a pickpocket, the armor can keep you from getting stolen from. For we wrestle not. This word wrestle means hand-to-hand combat. So we're not in hand-to-hand combat against people. They may get on your nerves, they may put on your buttons, but they're not the real enemy. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So it gives you the rank and file of Satan's demonic kingdom. But notice how many it says against. Now, most of us, if we, we were to say against principalities, powers, and just list the whole list. But it keeps saying against, 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 against. This word in the Greek and from Rick Renner paints the picture of reminding you you are in face-to-face combat. So Paul doesn't just say it once. He says it again and again and again to let you know that every single day you are face-to-face with the enemy who wants to steal from you, who wants to kill you, who wants to destroy you. A lot of us just live through life thinking about only natural things, but there is a spirit world that affects everything around us. 
There are angels and there are demons. And a lot of things we say it's just natural or it just happened, it's the enemy stealing from you. That there are schemes set up to trick you and trip you up. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, Paul says again, that you may be able to withstand. That means to resist, to oppose. And the evil day, what is the evil day? The day of trouble, the day of testing, the day of tribulation. Whatever day comes your way, that's not good. And having done everything, stand. This word doesn't mean stand. Whoo, I made it through. It means to stand immovable. Stand firm. Stand because Satan couldn't push you over. Stand because you didn't give an inch to the enemy. Because Christianity is not the belief system of those who are wimps and quit at the first sign of trouble. You can be weak, but you believe in what God says, you'll be strong. Even your weaknesses become an opportunity for God to be strong if you stand on the word of God. So this is not you standing by yourself. Remember, he started out this part saying, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He's not saying, take your soul power and stand strong. It's like, no, lean into the power, all the power God has to offer and stand strong. And you can resist everything saying God and not give an inch. Remember John 8, Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies. In Revelation 12, 9, Satan is called the accuser and the one who deceives the whole world. Satan will try to trick you out of your harvest and what rightfully belongs to you. Did he do it before? Yeah, go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. You are in a fight. Christianity is not skipping through the flowers. This is a battleground. You are at war. Exodus chapter 1. Verse 7. So we talked about Joseph, and Joseph lived 110 years. He ruled and was in power in Egypt for about 90 years. He died. He says, one day God will bring all of us out of Egypt. When he, when he does, bring my body out. Don't even leave my body here. So Joseph dies. All of his brothers dies. Generations go by. And then it tells us that in the process of time, the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. They went down to Egypt, 70 people. But now there's millions. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Now it didn't say another king was born or Pharaoh had another son who didn't study history. When you look at Egypt at this point in time, there are different dynasty clashes. There are other nations who take over power. So this doesn't mean this is a descendant of the Pharaoh that knew Joseph and blessed the people of God. So one of the ways a new king comes in who doesn't know the story of Joseph and already hates the people of God. So he says, come, let us deal wisely with them. When you look out this word, his definition means let us be wise and trick these people. Let us come up with ways to deceive this people. Lest they multiply and they come to pass that when there falls out any war, remember, they're in mindset because they probably just took over the kingdom. They're thinking another war could come. That they join our enemies and fight against us and or so get out of land. So let's come up a way to trick them so they can't run away because now there's millions of them. They are a part of that Egyptian economy. And if they all just upped and left, what would Egypt do? Or they said, what if there's an army that comes in and fights and they join their side. We're done for. So let's come up with a plan and trick them. 
And through this plan of trickery and deception, all the millions of Israelites are enslaved. Satan couldn't upright come out and take them by force. They were too strong. They were too blessed. Joseph had this legacy. So what do they do? The enemy came in with a plan to trick them, to enslave them. Remember, Satan is an outright thief, but he's also a deceiver and a liar. So I'm sure this law that was passed didn't seem so big and bright. It was a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, and found a way to take all the money the Israelites got and enslave them. Satan did it back then. If he saw it work then, don't you think he's still doing it now? So go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Restoration recompense began for many of you, but some of you already put it to a complete stop. You let the enemy come in and trick you out of it already. You let the enemy come in and begin to steal from you. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, be alert, pay attention. Don't let the enemy just sneak in and take stuff. Because your adversary, the devil, makes it very clear, the devil is your enemy, not God. As a roaring lion, doesn't say he is a roaring lion. He likes to think he's one. Walks about thinking whom he may devour. Let's look at the word devour. We just saw what it meant, but he's going around looking whom he may devour. If there's whom he may devour, there's whom he can't devour. So whom he may, so he's looking for who's going to give him permission to devour. Who's going to open the door for him to devour? Notice what Peter says. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction, the same pressures are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. James says it this way, James 4, 6, and 7, but God gives more grace Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Outright oppose him. Outright stand against him. Outright resist him face to face. And you keep resisting, he'll run away. Well, pastor, I'm resisting. He hasn't run away yet. You have, either you haven't resisted long enough, or you ain't really resisting. You need to resist him until he runs. You need to resist him until he flees in terror. Remember, you are in a war. You are in a fight. You can't just skip around and pretend that the devil's not after you and what you got. You need to be vigilant. You need to be alert, especially if you want to receive your abundant harvest and keep it. Because what is horrible if you receive an abundant harvest and he steals it from you? You'd be shouting at the beginning of the year, this is my year of abundant harvest. Harvest comes in. Oh, look at it, look at it, look at it. Get the end of the year, where did it all go? You have to be alert. Say, be alert. Yeah. Go to 2 Corinthians 10. He'll try to steal through deception in small ways that you don't notice, in outright ways. We know what Mark 4 teaches us. Through affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. Satan has different tactics to try to stop you, to try to steal from you, to try to contain you, to try to enslave you. 
Notice what Paul says here by the Holy Ghost in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, though we live in this fleshly body, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty. Say mighty. Mighty. Through God to the pulling down of strongholds and fortresses, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what are some strongholds and fortresses? Mentalities. The way you think. Because remember, the enemy is trying to trick you out of stuff. And he can't appear in front of you in a red suit, a long tail, hooves, horns, and a pitchfork. You're like, oh, that's the devil. I rebuke you. He's slick. So what he'll do is just give you some thoughts. And he's watched you long enough. He knows how you talk. He's watched your family long enough. That's why there's familiar spirits. It's one of the names for different demons. He watched how you operated, your parents operated, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents. He's been watching. And so he knows how to sound like you. So he'll slip a thought in that doesn't seem, he's like, well, it's not completely against the word of God. But remember, he's the wicked one, so we twist it. So it's a little bit of truth mixed with a little bit of a lie. And he keeps feeding it to you until you buy it. And he listens to it. He looks for openings. He looks for you not standing on the word. He looks for especially times when you're already emotional because something happened. You have a right to be emotional. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to feel this way. But in the process, when you're about to make a decision, am I going to do what the word says? Or just act out of my flesh? The enemy's right there and says, hey, you know, what about this, that, and the other? Just shooting that arrow in. Just to see if you'll take it. Because you might not take it. Like, well, let me fire one. Fire another. Oh, they took it. That worked on their grandpa too. Let me try again. (laughs) And now, you begin to build up a mentality on doctrines of demons, which are teachings of demons. Not because you went to a church and the demon sat there and said, I want you to read this. It's because he kept shooting thoughts in. And he took them. And he began to think that way. And he began to believe that way. You're still saved. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. You're still going to heaven. But now there's a stronghold in your mind. And Satan can steal from you. But Paul said our weapons that we use, they're mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds in our lives and in others. So you have to be alert knowing that what I got is still greater than what the enemy's got. That although he's slick, although he's been watching for thousands of years, although he's a master liar and deceiver, he's still not stronger than what I got. He's still not even in your class. Because remember, you are made in the image and the likeness of God. You are born again into the kingdom of God. You are in God's class. Below you are the angels of God, and below them they are the demons because they are the fallen ones. So don't be impressed by your enemy. Do not praise your enemy. Oh, the devil's got me on the run. Stop running. Where in the Bible that says run from the devil? Turn around and slap the mess out of them. You're not supposed to be running for demons. You are in a fight. John chapter 1 verse 5. 
and says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. One of the ways this word comprehending can be translated is, the darkness could not stop the light. Paul says your armor is called the armor of light. You are children of the light. You've been born into the light. You're in the kingdom of light. Darkness cannot stop you. Another way it can be translated is, it does not have the power to snuff you out or to tackle you. So imagine the Super Bowl next week. Somebody's trying to score, and people are trying to tackle him, but he keeps bouncing off, bouncing off, bouncing off, bouncing off. That is the picture of the kingdom of light. Satan can't stop you. So that's why he tries to deceive you to make you stop yourself. What you got is greater than what he got. Because 1 John 3 says, Jesus came that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy there means to overflow, to loosen, or dissolve. Jesus came to loosen all the works of the devil. He came to dissolve all the works of the devil. He came to overthrow it. Because if it's loose, you can break out of it. If it's dissolved, you can push through it. If it's overthrown, it can't overthrow you. Your enemy is a defeated foe. Jesus beat him down and gave you the victory. He says, keep him there. If he gets higher than your foot, he's too high. So go back to Ephesians 6. You're in a fight. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins, your waist rigid, and gird about with truth. You want to know how not to fall to Satan's tactics of deception? Stay in the truth. Jesus said, my word is truth. Stay in the book. Believe the book or you'll fall for anything. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be righteous one day in the sweet by and by. You are righteous right now. There's nothing you can do, Christian, to change your righteousness. That is your standing. When you are a sinner and you did something that was right, that did not make you righteous. And now that you're a believer, even if you do something wrong, that does not make you not righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you don't realize that you're righteous, Satan can steal from you. Because you think, well, I messed up, I sinned, I did this, I did that. Now the enemy can just begin to steal from you. Well, they think they're not righteous anymore. So now their righteousness can't work with their faith, so I can keep stealing and stealing and stealing. You keep staying in that funk all day, he'll outright knock you out. But righteousness protects all these vital organs. And it's held up by the belt of truth. And your feet share with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Don't let anything take your peace. You have peace with God. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. You can have peace in this life. These shoes of the Roman soldier had nails on the bottom which would hold them in place when they were going to tough terrain. And it's the peace that can stop all the enemy no matter what he throws your way because the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Above all or in front of all, take the shield of faith. 
in front of all this armor, put the shield of faith. Now, the shield looks like what our new shield looks like for our new logo, for our new faith gear. This shield is at least the size of a door. It was meant to cover the entirety of the Roman soldier. That you put it out in front to stop the arrows, the fiery darts he's about to mention that comes your way. Because Satan is throwing, shooting out fiery darts. But some of us go, well, I'll use faith when I come to church. So you put your shield down and get shot up all week. Then you come to the house of God. Oh, where's my shield? Well, I'll use my shield of faith in heaven. Why do you need your armor in heaven? You can't get in there. You need to keep your shield up. You need to keep your shield out. Don't put down your faith just because you're not in church. Faith is something you're supposed to use every single day throughout the day. We are faith people. We walk by faith, not by sight. We speak in faith. We believe in faith. We walk in faith. We live in faith. It's our lifestyle. Not just what we do on Sundays. And take the helmet of salvation. This helmet was not on the head. It also covered part of the neck because the enemies at that time would throw axes to take your head off. If you don't have your mind renewed what the word of God says about you and your salvation, you can lose your head in these days. Keep your mind covered in the word. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. You are not without him and you're not outside of him. You are in him. Never forget who you are in Christ. If you want to do a good study, we have, I think we have some small books out there in the kiosk, or you can look up in the New Testament every time the Bible says, in Christ, in whom? In him. Look at all those verses, because that's who you are. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, and in him you are unstoppable. Never forget who you are in him. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God speaking the word is a weapon. We see in the book of Revelation how Jesus is coming back with a sword in his mouth. What is that? It's the word of God. When he speaks the word of God, his enemies are destroyed. Jesus battled the enemy in Matthew chapter 4, speaking what the word of God says, and took him down. You need to keep the word of God in your mouth. Instead of spotting with situations like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, say, oh, thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. Well, look at this bill. I don't know what I'm going to do. My God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. Oh, I don't feel so well today. I chew. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Keep the word in your mouth. You are in a fight. Because some of us put up with just sickness. Oh, it's flu season, so we might as well sneeze and all get sick. Think about how much money you lost on flu medicine. Doctor's visits, appointments, missed work, missed opportunities. Start calculating it up. Then you don't think it's cute to take a sick day. Because it's just a little bit sneaky. Everybody gets sick. No. Not in my house. Oh, everybody gets a flu. No. Not in this house. You have to learn how to resist the enemy. Now, I believe in medicine, I believe in vitamins, I believe in supplements, I believe in orange juice, I believe in doctors, I believe in all those things. But one of the things I do, I'm not going to let the enemy sit me down for weeks because I got sick. I remember last year they had the flu, season supposed to be really, really bad. And you know, that Wednesday felt, I was like, oh, something doesn't feel right. I preached anyways and started heading home, started feeling worse and worse and worse. I'm like, something's not right here. So I told my wife, I'm going to stay in the other room. I don't want you or the kids to get sick. And so I'm going to lay here, and I'm going to listen to Sister Gloria Copeland preach on healing. And so I turned on BVOV, and it's pushed play. Now, the moments are getting by, and I'm getting worse by the moment. 
So I'm waking up in the middle of the night. Oh, look, that's Sister Gloria. Oh, hey, it's Bishop. Hey, Bill Winston. What? I'm sleeping, but my spirit's still getting fed. And so there are some points when I would stand up to go to the refrigerator. It's like, oh, I feel like fainting. Where's the chair? But you know, they said it's supposed to take the flu a week or so to really get out of your system. By hour 48 hit, I was better. Y'all never would knew because I was here Sunday preaching like nothing happened. Why? Just because it afflicts your body, you don't just give up and take it. Well, I just guess I got to take what happens in this life. Says who? I thought you're more than a conqueror. I thought you are a Christian. I thought Christ lives on the inside of you. I thought you're possessed by God himself. Stop taking what the enemy sends your way. Fight back. You are in a war. Don't let the enemy catch you sleepy. And then the last one, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching there too with perseverance and supplications for all saints. It doesn't call it out right here a lance, but the Roman soldier had a lance on his back and Paul said take the whole armor. And so there is a lance of prayer. That one of the purposes of this lance of prayer is to take out enemies before they can get you. Before they can even get close to you is a long-range long range weapon. That's one of the reasons we come together in prayer. That's why I want to see you on Friday night as we go to prayer together again. We can take down enemies far away before they even get close. We need this whole armor of God. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. First part of the verse. Fight the good fight of faith. Say it with me. Say fight, fight. the good fight, good fight of faith. faith. One of the reasons the Lord sent me this morning is to remind you is you are in a fight. Stop carrying around your boxing gloves. Go, wee. Christian put your gloves on it's time to fight it's time to understand there is an enemy out there it's time to understand he is at war with you I understand he's after you and your house he's after everything you got you need to put your gloves on put your dukes up and get ready to knock him out if you want to quote El Cujay today is the day mama said knock you out pastor said knock you out don't against the enemy in the flesh but go after that enemy who's been after you all your life and understand, I'm not giving up an inch. I'm not giving up any territory. And the thing is, I'm going to take back what you stole from me. I'm going to go into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from me. See, the thing is, an army that's always on the defensive is a defeated army. It's time for you to go from the defensive and go after what Satan took from you. It's time for the body of Christ to go on the offense. Instead of always defending what we believe, it's time to take territory. It's time to go forward. This is the year of abundant harvest. This is a year where we'll see the oneness of God that will cause us to stay in awe. So we're not going to go run around and stay in our four corners of the church house going, oh, we're safe here. Oh, did you see the law in New York? Did you see the government shut down? Did you see that? Oh, what we're going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to win. We're going to conquer. We're more than conquerors. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. It's time to fight. It's time to win. It's a good fight of faith. It's only good if you win. 
But you can't win if you hide out in the back all the time. You can't win if you hide out in your closet all the time. It's time to win. It's time to engage situations. It's time to go after the enemy. It's time to go after things the enemy says, oh, you can't have. Says who? Since when can you tell me what I can have? Since when do I listen to you anymore? I got saved. You can't limit me. You can't contain me. I serve the God who is more than enough. You can't cause me to have not enough anymore when my God is more than enough. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. See, this year in 2019, if you want my title for today is you're going to need a few F words. If you want to make it through this year and win, you're going to need a few F words. First one, you're going to need a fight. Next one, you're going to need to stay in faith. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16. Notice what it says about God here. When God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor, therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on the righteousness as a breastplate. Sound familiar? And a helmet of salvation upon his head. Sound familiar? But no, something else God put us on. He put on the garments of vengeance for his clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according he will repay. It's recompense. Fear to his adversaries. Recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will pay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rise of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. Good morning, standard. You are that standard. You are on the battlefield. It doesn't matter how the enemy comes in, you're on the field. You're ready to fight. But the thing is, you're not just on the field fighting by yourself. There's somebody on the field much bigger than you, much stronger than you. He's the almighty God. He's got the same armor that you got on, but he's put an extra cape on. See, we said last year, last week, God has restoration on his mind. God has recompense on his mind, but God also has vengeance on his mind. He will repay. And he's on the field with you to make sure you get back what belongs to you. So go to Romans 12. God has vengeance on his mind. Romans 12, verse 17. Recompense to no man, to nobody. Say it like you actually believe it. Evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies within you, as much as conceivably possible, live peaceably with everybody. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Don't get revenge. Say, don't get revenge. But it doesn't stop. They say, but rather, 
Give place unto wrath. Not your wrath. The wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some drink. For in doing so, you should heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So before we break this scripture down a little bit more, three F words for you today. Fight, faith, and forgive. Some of you have brought your restoration and recompense to a halt because you got out of faith and you refused to fight and forgive. Don't get in the way of your recompense and restoration through unforgiveness. Don't let Satan trick you into staying offended. It's part of his plan to steal from you. Forgive everybody of everything and let God continue his plan of restoration and recompense. Because when you say, well, I'm not going to forgive him. I'm going to get even. I know God says, vengeance is mine. Praise Jesus. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because God, you move too slow. And you decide to get revenge. What you've done is, says, God, get off the battlefield. I'm not interested in your vengeance. I'm not interested in your recompense or your restoration. I'm going to handle things my way. And you wonder why your restoration has halted. You wonder, where's the recompense? Where's my harvest? You told the Lord of the harvest, back up. That if you want God's vengeance to show up on your behalf, walk in love, forgive everybody of everything. Because when God brings vengeance... Not only are you well taken care of, other people will will like, ooh, that ain't going to happen to me. I'm following Jesus. But so many Christians say, well, I'm going to do it myself. Get out the way. Let God be God. Stop being angry with everybody. Let God deal with it. Well, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. That's why you don't have that many pieces left. And what did you, given the pieces of your mind, really accomplish? You felt better for a moment, then you felt guilty, then you got upset, and then now you're in condemnation, saying still something else from you? You just get out the way. God has restoration on his mind. God has recompense on his mind. And God has vengeance on his mind. You just need to get out the way. You do what he told you to do. You forgive everybody everything, you let God be God. And you be you. You fight your battles and let God do the fight he said he would do. So go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's begin to close this down. Some of us brought the restoration and recompense to a halt because maybe right after church you got offended by somebody. You were really hungry, so you rushed to the restaurant, so I'm cut you off. And you got upset, and then your restoration stopped. Well, you don't know what my boss said this week. No, I don't, but I know what your God said. Well, did you see the news? Yeah, we all saw the news. I just really believe that my God is greater than a donkey and an elephant. Forgive me for believing that my God is the almighty God. That even if the government shuts down, opens, shuts down, opens, that the kingdom of God never shuts down. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're familiar with the story of Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah. 
They're surrounded by three enemy armies. One is bad enough, but three, they can't handle it. So the king calls a national day of prayer. Everybody shows up from the youngest to the oldest, and they begin to pray. The king leads the prayer, and the Holy Ghost falls on a man of God, and he begins to prophesy, talking about how God would intervene for them. He told them where the enemy was. And so they rose up the next morning and went to the wilderness where the enemy was. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. The Lord said, so this is by implication the prophetic word. The Lord said, this is a year of abundant harvest. He said, this is the year where you turn the corner. So this is a year of wonders and marvels and extraordinary greatness of our God. It's a year where we're all standing on. That's what God said. You can either believe it or don't. God won't make you believe it. I can't make you believe it. It's up to you to believe it. But if you believe it, you'll prosper. And when he consulted with the praise and worship team, well, actually, it seems like he skipped them. He consulted the rest of the congregation and said, hey, let's put the praise and worship team in front of the army. Some people are like, oh, I don't feel led to serve that day. <clears throat> oh, I didn't see that invitation that Minister Dathan and Minister Sister Camilla sent out about what song we're singing up. I, whoops. That they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord or hallelujah, for his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Ki he leolam hasto. It's part of what they said when they dedicated the temple of God in Solomon's day. That's what they were saying when the glory of God filled the temple. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked, and unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil, then they found among them in abundance, sounds like an abundant harvest, both riches with the dead body and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And there were three days in gathering of the spoil. It took a nation three days to get all the stuff. Three days. And who was first in line to get the stuff? The praise and worship team leading people in praise and worship. And on the fourth day, they assembled, they assembled themselves in the valley. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Barak unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat and the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. Go to Psalm 67. We're close here. God told them something. They believed it, acted upon it, and began to rejoice. And the tactics of the enemies became confused and turned against each other. And as a result, Judah had an abundant harvest. Could you imagine how the nation economy improves when everybody has three days' worth of wealth? What needs are there in Judah anymore? The enemy meant to plunder them. He came to steal. He came to kill. He came to destroy. But he ended up enriching them. Because God calls us all things to work together for the good of those who love and who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Psalm 67, verse 5. 
Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then, what after they praise you, shall the earth yield her increase. Or other translations, then the harvest will come forth. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. That sounds like Isaac. Harvest came and the Lord blessed him. And so the psalm says here, let God's people praise him. Because as they praise him, the earth will give increase. And God will bless them. So you don't just praise him in the house of God. You need to keep his praise on your mouth all week long. You need to find different reasons just to be thankful. You need to find different reasons just to be grateful. Stop looking now. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Pick your head up, Christian. Oh, God's been good to me. You say, Pastor, you don't know what has happened to me. I got breath and my body ain't over. Well, you don't know what the doctor said, but I'm still here. Well, you don't know what my bank account says, but it's not over till it's over. So you need to find a reason every single day to praise your God. Find a reason every single day to be grateful. Find a reason every single day to give him thanks. Find a reason every single day to bless his name. Find a reason every single day to say, Father, I just thank you. Look at everything in your life and just say thank you. Every good thing, every perfect gift he's thrown your way, every prophetic promise he's given you, thank you. Because as you praise God, as you're thankful, increase in harvest comes. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Stop having a bad attitude all the time. Choose joy. Choose to rejoice. Choose to praise. Choose to shout. Choose to dance. Choose to keep an attitude of gratitude. Because the enemy will love to try. It's like, well, remember this? Get sad again. Get depressed again. Come on, start whining again. He knows what buttons to push to make you go whine and eat a carton of ice cream. He knows what to do. Ignore him. So you know what? You're telling me to whine? This must be a sign. My harvest must be really close. So instead of complaining, Father, I thank you because you are good. You are the Lord of the harvest. You are the almighty God. You are El Shaddai. You are El Elyon. You're Jehovah Shammah. You're Jehovah Elohim. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're Jehovah Tiskanu. You're Jehovah Jireh. You are the God of all peace. You're the God of all grace. You're the God of all hope. So instead of whining about what doesn't seem right, provoked by my enemy to tell me to complain, because remember, if he's telling me to complain, he's trying to steal from you. Remember, he came to steal. So some of the pickpocketing is making you get in a bad attitude. Rocking around all sad and mopey. And looking pathetic, like your enemy. Instead of whining, instead of going, woe is me. Instead of calling everybody so someone else can whine with you. Or posting on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat to get more pity your way. Because pity won't deliver you. You don't need to be pity. You don't need to be petty. You need power. So instead of getting the pity party and being petty, praise. Keep the praises of God in your mouth. Rejoice before God always. Thank him. Praise his name. Realize you're in a fight. Stay in faith. Forgive everybody of everything. And watch what God will do for you. Your restoration will not be halted. Your recompense will not be slowed down. Because God has restoration on his mind. He has recompense on his mind. He has vengeance on his mind. So you get out the way and let God be God. Don't let Satan trick you out of stuff. 
fight the good fight of faith. Forgive everybody of everything. And watch what happens in this year of abundant harvest that will cause us all to stand in awe as we see the wonders, the marvels, the extraordinary greatness of the goodness of our God. This is about to be a big year. Don't cancel it. Don't kill it. Because if he can't destroy your harvest, he'll try to make you do it. Refuse to cooperate. It's our time. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're the greater one. And you live on the inside of us. Therefore, you've made us greater than anything we'll ever face in our life. You've made us greater than our adversary. So before we close down this experience, when we talk about forgiving people and not getting revenge, some of you thought of a specific person. So what you have to do right now is make a decision to forgive them. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me. But on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at FCCGA.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.